the old pilots playing tales. The Ian Palmer interviews, part three. Ian, uh, thanks very much indeed for joining me yet again. Oh, it's great. Great to be back. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. Oh, brilliant. Well, it's great to, great to be back, and uh, it's great to be talking about um, t- aeroplanes. Oh, absolutely. Um, now, we left last part of the story with you getting a job with a, a great airline, with uh, Monarch, and you realised uh, after a while, though, that you uh, still had a, a drinking problem um, and I think you acknowledged now that that definitely needed fixing. How did you accomplish that? Okay, so I was flying a lot. Um, we were doing a lot of these flights where we would fly um, late in the evening and to the Greek islands, you know, arriving back at sort of seven or eight o'clock in the morning, doing these charter flights. And I remember on the days off, um, never ever, I will reiterate actually, never ever in the aeroplane was I under the influence but on my days off I couldn't wait to get home to drink so I'd get home and I would be fairly out of it and so I clearly knew in very short order that something wasn't quite right I had a few relationships around that time Um, nobody would stick with me of course why would they everybody ran a mile I started losing friends and around this time, my parents, uh, well, firstly, my father was diagnosed with, but he had um, fairly uh, type 1 diabetes, so he was quite sick with that. Um, my mother then was diagnosed with uh, ovarian cancer that had spread to the bowel, lung and stomach, so that was stage 4 cancer straight away. And my father then, uh, very quickly afterwards, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and I remember seeing my father on the Sunday night in hospital when we were told that he may not um, survive uh, the rest of the week. And we were by his bedside on that Thursday evening and he died on the Thursday. And again, I didn't feel anything. I had no emotions. Carried on. And this was 2010. Uh, England were playing in the World Cup. Um, I remember it very clearly against the USA. And I remember watching a football game with my mum then in um, in a hospice. And my mum died. We were, the only thing I can say is that we were by her bedside. And this was very shortly after my father had died. My mother died. And she died. So two, two enormous tragedies. Two enormous tragedies in very close... In very short order, yes. So it was, I mean, I remember take. I remember pushing my mum in a wheelchair on oxygen to my dad's funeral. Golly. You know, so that was truly the worst experience I think any human being could go through emotionally. But, but not something you were able to process. I wasn't able to process it and probably... Uh, more importantly for uh, somebody who suffers with this condition is I was unable to control it and that was the issue and it's a control there's a control elements to the um, alcoholic condition so I then thought this was great because I didn't feel anything why did I think it was great because it gave me the opportunity to drink more and everyone would feel sorry for me. I wasn't at work now. I decided to withdraw from flying. Um, So this was happy days for me. I could now just drink as much as I like because no one was going to bother me. That's how sick this illness gets 
So I then did take up with a young lady who I knew from my childhood and uh, I always wanted to, I kind of always had designs on her, I think, for, from a young age and I, um, I totally messed it up. Uh, she had a kid and I was awful. Um, but I wasn't flying around this time, but she suggested that perhaps you need a bit of help. I was terrible to this lady. And I went to see my GP, who um, clearly knew what was going on, but he had written these um, sick notes basically to say that I was off work with stress. And this was when it really started to take a hold. I decided then, having been left an amount of money, and bearing in mind that uh, one of the things we do with this condition is we like to be liked. <laughs> we have a people-pleasing propensity. So I was giving money away. I was doing all sorts of crazy, uh, explain, uh, displaying really crazy behavior. I decided to go to rehab, uh, but there was a bit of a problem. We didn't have any money. I'd spent all the money. Oh, Lord. So how was that going to work? So I thought, hmm, I'm going to have to have a loan for this. And I started to get a bit more serious at this point, realizing that we're getting backed into a corner. And my and accountant friend was uh, an executor to the will. And he rang me up, knowing that all was not well, and said, oh, we've um, found some more money in a pension fund, which your parents had. And... In order to go to the rehab, the cost of the rehab was £14,000 for 28 days. Now, bearing in mind that the ego was still rife at this time, so I couldn't go to any old rehab. It had to be the Priory Clinic, uh, because that's where all the rock and roll stars went, of course, wasn't it? So I thought it was really screwed up thinking. So it was £14,000. How much do you think was left in this pension fund, which the accountant found for me? Well, I'm going to guess exactly 14,000. Exactly 14,000 pounds. Wow. Yeah, exactly that amount. Is that odd? It's strange. Now, this was the first thought that maybe something else was happening. Now, I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual. And I've realized that, you know, there's something greater than me controlling this whole situation. I got away with so much during that time and I was so lucky to get away with my life because remember this condition takes everything and will eventually take you. So I came out of the rehab and the first thing I did, because the ego was still rife, I decided to test if they'd actually properly fixed me. So I celebrated with a bottle of champagne. Now, if that's not screwed up thinking, then I don't know what is, because I drank this alcohol. Um, of course, clearly, I was nowhere near aviation. I was nowhere near anything. And I was um, in a pretty bad state. So the doctor who was looking after me in this rehabilitation clinic uh, gave me a telephone call. And he said, Ian, uh, we'd like you to, uh, I'd like to come in and have a chat. So the first thing I did was um, I was drinking litres of water, thinking this would hide any sort of alcohol or drug test. Uh, I had a shower and I remember trying to clean myself, but I was really hot and clammy and in a real state. 
and um, I was quite bloated and really, so I went in a taxi and I remember throwing, getting a taxi driver to stop and throwing up and I got to the rehab and the specialist, a consultant, sorry, who was looking after me there, um, he said, Ian, sit down, we need to have a chat. And this was the turning point because he said to me, and he didn't know whether I was flying or not, but he was aware that I had a license to fly an aeroplane and I was effectively off work with stress. And this is the way you mislead people with this illness. Um, you know, you, you lie. So I said to, he said to me, Ian, you have a choice. You can either stop drinking and fly aeroplanes or you can continue to drink and die. Take your choice. Now you've got two weeks and you need to tell your employer exactly what has been happening. Or you can go to the CAA and explain what's been happening. Because if you don't, I will. And that was a like a almost like a mallet over the head. And I was thinking at that time, and this is how screwed up my thinking was, I was wondering how I could manipulate the situation to get this get a gagging order over this person. Um, so I was speaking to a solicitor friend. He said, yeah, it might be possible, but not realizing this was the guy that saved my life. <laughs> and what I will say is around that time, I should say that just before my, um, just after my parents had died and just before I had this experience of um, I had changed employer. I decided to get away from um, Monarch, um, and they obviously have since uh, no longer exist, to join the company that I'm with now. And uh, they were, well, considering I was the new boy, <laughs> I couldn't have wished for anything better because I went to the union and I said, look, I've got a bit of a problem. And they said, it sounds like you've got a bit of a problem. And they said, well, we need to, uh, well, there is a drug and alcohol policy in place as there are with any employer worth their salt. Um, there'll be some sort of drug and alcohol policy. And so my union went to my employer and said, one of your pilots has an issue. And they said, oh, right, okay. Um, and he would like to, this is the most important thing. This is the most important thing is that he would like to self-identify that he has an issue. There's a very big difference between self-identifying and being caught. Because <laughs> if you get caught under the influence, that's instant dismissal. If you get, if you self-identify and say, I've got a problem, then uh, certainly with my employer, and I certainly know for most, well, every major airline in the UK, if not Europe, would have a duty of care then to say, okay, because they recognised under the World Health Organisation that this condition is an illness, they would then do all they can to help you. And what they did, which I will be forever grateful, is they gave me a second chance. I went to rehab for a second chance, and this time I meant business. I joined the uh, rehab and what was interesting, there were seven people then I, on this, I thought it was a course, I thought that I had to graduate and a couple of people left and out of everybody that was on that course um, in that rehab, uh, one of them was quite an affluent businessman who has 
been sober now um, for the same amount of time and he's gone on to be to do really well in business and uh, but everybody else has since died from this illness you're joking no longer with us so i consider myself to be really lucky and this wasn't a priory type uh, posh rock star rehab this was a gritty down-to-earth rehab where they also meant business and if you didn't abide by their rules you had consequences which would be to clean a room even clean a toilet it was all about humility and instilling in you all that had been lost through my career in um, misleading people in you know having a lifestyle which was totally incompatible with my career uh how do you look back on it now i look back at it and i thank we have a an expression i will i thank my higher power which yes for me is god but doesn't always work for everybody um in that sense but i thank my higher power that my life today is not different it's massively different it's like it's a different world it's a different world that i you know now reside in i um i haven't had a drink for uh, eight years almost now and do, and do you know what nick i have no desire to drink ever again um, we have an expression it's a bit like recoiling from a hot stove you kind of burn yourself once you don't go anywhere near it a second time and now for me it's about passing the message on to other people um, and i'm sure maybe some of your listeners and viewers will identify um, that it doesn't take a brain surgeon to work out that um, i'm part of a fellowship and that fellowship is very close to the front of the telephone book yeah i i understand and mm. the requirements of being a member as it were are the oh, you certainly have embraced uh, the opportunity to help others yes because we have a really lovely expression and that is i can only keep what i have by giving it away by giving it away by helping other people by sharing what we call experience strength and hope and i think balpa was reading in their newsletter recently their magazine uh, called the log that actually this illness five percent of people actually in the world who, have, who suffer with alcoholism show outward signs of it, 95% of people are hiding this. You know, you would never know. You would never know. And they probably don't even know themselves. So it's a devastating, devastating, devastating condition. One from which you never, ever recover from. All you can do is arrest it. But what I will say is that today, I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. And what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that I've won the lottery and I'm driving an Aston Martin and I'm now chief pilot of Atme Airlines. Not at all. What it means is I now have serenity and I'm now happy with my life. And I'm grateful. I have gratitude. So is there any advice you can offer to those who are thinking that they might have a problem? Absolutely. Uh, the first thing you have to do is acknowledge that problem. You have to say, yes, I have a problem. Second thing you do then is you ask for help. And you will find that, as I said, I was astonished the way 
the moment I admitted this issue, the way everybody came running. Now, remember that this is it's a condition that you manage. Um, but today, I have a whole new circle of friends. I don't relate at all to the way I was. I'm in a new relationship, which I've been with Kirsty now for five years. And she says to me, I could never imagine you drinking. I could never imagine you being the way I described. It's almost as if, you know, I don't mean in the religious sense, but it's almost like being reborn. Well, that sounds fabulous. Have you been able to reconnect with your feelings? Yes, yeah, because when you come into recovery, it's this classic, expression that they have um, we have um, two issues number one the good news is you get your feelings back the bad news is you get your feelings back you know i start i start crying now when i see those adverts for the dog's home <laughs> so it's um no you get your um, you get your feelings back absolutely but you know i have a very 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 um well i had a very lucky escape actually yeah i had a very very lucky escape what do i have to do now in order to continue on this lifestyle with this lifestyle well number one rigorous honesty number two um, actually more practically is i have to see the um, regulatory body civil aviation authority every six months for a, a blood test occasionally they'll take a hair test to check if there's been any misuse of anything in the meantime of course there isn't hasn't been and there won't be but you know it's a privilege now it's a pleasure to go along there and submit to these tests because every time i'm saying yes i'm well and then they say they also write me a letter and say yeah you are certified fit that's a brilliant story Ian but you touched on a new relationship and I'm going to uh, ask you to cover that in our next chat Mm. uh, because uh, you ended up in hospital um, for a very different reason Uh, and uh, I think perhaps uh, we'll leave it there and uh, discuss that and uh, how your career is going now in our next chat next week if that's okay brilliant yeah be a pleasure thanks Nick thanks very much If you enjoyed this interview, then I'd love it if you were able to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Plain Tales is, of course, a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com.